Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Take your Bibles, turn to Jude, the book of Jude. How many know where the book of Jude is? All right, look in your, look in your Bibles. If you go to the last book, Revelation, and then move up one. So the last book, Revelation, and it's the second to the last book in the Bible. And it's like 20, let's see here, 25 verses. So there's only one chapter, and it is a short book. So we may get through it. Uh, I'm going to say four weeks. Excuse me. It'll probably take us into um, our Advent series where we're around Christmas time. So that's the that's the hope. Um, but this is just a very unique, interesting book. How many are curious or uh, kind of like you wonder about angels and demons and things like that? Anybody curious about that? Okay, wow, that's neat. Uh, we're going to talk about some of that. Um, here, here's the thing, and I think this is really the uh, the perspective that, that we need to get. What did Jude think about angels and demons? What did he believe about it? Because what we're, what we're guilty of many a time is following tradition. You know, how many, how many uh, think that Satan fell from heaven with one-third of the angels? How many think that? How many believe that? Maybe we say that. Okay, that's a few. Um, how many think the Lord's going to come back in a rapture? Okay, wow, man, we're doing good, Cody. Where's Cody at? You didn't see that. Um, okay, uh, these are all just like, uh, how many believe the Lord created the world 6,000 years ago? Some people even laugh, right? Wow, okay, this, I'm just pulling the audience here, interesting. Um, what we're sometimes guilty of is we cling to a tradition that was handed to us, and maybe we were only told one perspective of many perspectives Uh, And maybe what we were told wasn't really what the apostles believed at all. You ever thought about that? You ever wonder, like, man, is how the perspective, when I think about heaven, do you think of, like, a far-off, distant place? Is that what you think? Like, some other dimension, you know? Uh, And I'm guilty of this. I say this a lot. Um, You know, think of, like, Marvel movies, right, where we have, like, superheroes, uh, where we have... Uh, people that were gifted and, and they had abilities that normal uh, peasantry like us, you know what I mean? Like the normal human beings, we don't have those gifts and abilities. Um, so I think often like when we consider um, some of those movies, we think, well, that's just make-believe. Well, where did the make-believe come from? Why has there always been talk of people that are superhuman? Why has there always been talk of mutants? Why has there always been some sort of teaching that has said that there were people that were stronger and bigger and otherworldly, you know, supernatural. You know what that word, it just literally means above the natural order. There's an angel in the picture for, isn't this a pretty cool artwork? I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, so and it's like the angel's pointing at me. I'm like, I, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if that's Michael the archangel or what, but I, this this sort of topic is going to come up in the book. And there's going to be some perspectives about angels that, I mean, there's no other way of putting it. It's Enochian. It's in the book of Enoch. The perspective that, that these authors had were accepted, and they all shared similar perspectives. 
And so uh, maybe it'll be new to you, maybe it won't, but we're going to dig into some of that, and uh, we'll, ch- we'll chat about it. And, and so maybe your perspective will be broadened. Maybe you'll be like, that's crazy. I don't believe that. That's fine. Look, let's part friends, okay? Either way, let's, let's, remain, uh, uh, let, let, let's remain acquaintances. But here, here's the thing. What my goal is in this study is to just show you what they believed, what is widely and generally accepted among theologians, right, biblical scholars, which I'm not a biblical scholar, I'm a, I'm a preacher, but I'll say to you in my research, this is what is accepted, uh, and then the Lord can take that in your life and prayerfully use it, prayerfully take you somewhere else, somewhere deeper in your relationship and in your walk with him. Um, and I think, too, like I was chatting with um, one of our members in the hallway after this morning's message, they were in the early service, like, we've got to get better at getting along with people who don't believe the way we believe. We've got to do better, not just within the church, but without. And, and I'm not talking about, like, so maybe it's no, if you've been in small group at all, like, you know that I'm not very kind to Jehovah Witness. <laughs> uh, and I don't mean kind to them as people. I'm very, I'm, I'm, I want to be kind, gracious, and loving to them as people, but Towards their doctrine, I'm not kind at all. It's, it's wrong. It's false. And uh, that's not what we're not talking about. And the book specifically will show us that. We're not talking about people that are, um, you know, clearly trying to steer people in the wrong direction. Deceivers, false teachers, right? Um, but, like, people who generally believe something different than you, but they still love Jesus. People that, like, love the Lord and that think he was God— you know, and that there's a triune God and Jesus was a part, born of a virgin. They believe the Bible. Maybe it's not the Bible you use, but they believe the Bible. We've got to get better at getting along with others. Other churches that maybe believe or, or have different perspectives, like we got to be okay with that. And I think that our broadening our understanding, like for instance, if all you eat is, and, and if you have, and many people I run across that are like this, and that's fine, but if you have the palate of a five-year-old, right, and all you eat is chicken nuggets and french fries and hamburgers, that's okay, right? But, you know, don't look at everybody that enjoys a little bit of fine dining, that, that enjoys, uh, you know, sushi. Oh, sushi, who could ever love sushi? Well, a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people like it. It's actually really good, uh, and you'll develop a taste for it. How many love sushi? They're the ones that are right with the Lord. Amen. No, I'm kidding. But, like, I mean, I love grilled asparagus. I love it. I mean, has anybody ever had grilled asparagus? Put a little Parmesan on that. Amen. Somebody tell me the Holy Ghost is coming. I mean, there he is. He just showed up. Boom, right there. I mean, asparagus with a little Parmesan, a little oil on the grill. Oh, my goodness. Anything that comes off Marlon's grill, I'm for it. I mean, the gospel goes before it. I don't know how. I ate it. He gave, he gave me a hamburger, and I bit that thing, and I was like, whoa. I mean, all kinds of love was in that thing. Like, I, I'm all about a broad food palette. My wife is an incredible cook. Uh, she learned from two incredible cooks. She bakes her own bread all the time, right? Like, it, it's, it's about what we experience. And when we experience things that are different and we're okay walking into those uncomfortable waters of the non-chicken nuggets, 
we're like, man, there's a lot more out there other than just chicken nuggets and french fries. But we're guilty sometimes of being the Christians that say, I don't like none of that. That's gross. No, there's so much. Scripture is a, an ocean, and you're playing in the creek. You're, you're playing in, in a tributary. You're playing in something that's an offshoot. It ain't even, you ain't even in the ocean. And you're so narrow-minded. And if, if I told you, and we're going to get there eventually in this study, what some people believe about Genesis 6, I just don't want your head to explode in here. You know what I mean? Because we're going to dine a little bit. We're going to have a little bit, something a little bit more rich. Something that maybe isn't as palatable for you. Hey, everybody do this. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. We're having fun. We're having fun. And, and that's kind of where, where I want to get as a church. And to the point that, like, you're, and this was the topic this morning, you're a Christian who believes in evolution. Uh, you know what I mean, right? That's, and a lot of you are like, he said that. <laughs> it exists. It exists. There are Christians that think that the Lord uses evolution to bring everything about. They exist out there. Well, then they're wrong, and they need to be judged and and excommunicated until they believe that that the earth is only 6,000 years old. (laughs) Not everybody believes in a young earth, right? Like, there are other biblical scholars that have other perspectives, right? There's other theories, and some people believe that, and they still believe Jesus is the Son of God. No, how do they... How? How could it ever be? <laughs> it's true. Look, that's the beauty of being human. The Lord get, gave us, and I know some people don't believe this, and it's okay. And if you're a Calvinist, I love you. Uh, but God gave us free will. We're not robots, unless you're a Calvinist. <laughs> but it, it, it's just... It's the beautiful thing about being in community is that we, we get to dig deep. Some people are more emotional. Some people are more rational. There are men and there are women. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, ooh. <laughs> Come on, Matt, get in there. Uh, look, it's a beautiful thing. And so as we dig into a book that has some strange things, some things that we're going to explore Let's do just that. Let's explore. Let's be open-minded towards some of these things and know that it doesn't really mess with our core doctrines. We can have different perspectives and still believe Jesus is our king. Amen? All right, let's jump in. Now, this, this first sermon in the series is none of that. We're, we're just going to we're gonna walk up to the pool of Jude, and we're going to take our shoes and our socks off, and we're just going to dip our toes in the pool, right, because it's almost wintertime, and it's 70 degrees out today. Isn't that crazy, right? But it's still too cold to jump in the pool today. So we are just going to dip our toes in the pool, and then next week we'll get a little further and a little further in. Uh, But this is just an introduction to the book. We think that it's written somewhere around 80, 65, and 80, 80. And, And if you listen to some of the dates when we start new books, you'll find that that's a contemporary with Paul. It's a contemporary with the apostles. And the reason is, is because he says... And the very first verse, if you, if you have your Bibles, go to Jude. If you're not there, look up the number in your concordance there in the beginning, your index, and, and find where it is. But we're going to be dealing with just the first few verses. And it says, Jude, verse number one, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of who? And a brother of James. So that James there 
uh, and this is, once again, there are people who disagree with this, but widely accepted, what I'm telling you this morning is the generally accepted truth that James is the pastor of Jerusalem. And when we consider what happened at Pentecost in the book of Acts, right? Everybody familiar? Pentecost, all the Jews, it was time for Passover. They came to Jerusalem. The Holy Ghost fell. Jews from every different area, they all heard in their own native language, but they heard the same message, and the Holy Ghost fell, and the church began, right? Well, that happened in the epicenter of Jerusalem. Uh, and, And from that point moving forward, that church exploded. And then when you consider, like, church history, the first 30 years of church history is found in the book of Acts. We find that the person who took the helm of that congregation, his name is James. And so James, eventually, I believe he was a a martyr, like most of them, Uh, James pastoring this church, James weighing in on weighty matters, the first council in Acts, I believe it's chapter 16, Uh, talking about circumcision and whether or not these Gentiles should be made to be like the rest of the Jews. And we know where Paul was at on those issues, right? Um, But we find that uh, he's a contemporary of all these dudes. And then when we consider the fact that he says, James is my brother, we also know that James's brother, the half-brother of Jesus, was James. And so therefore we can conclude that Jude was also the half-brother of Jesus. Half-brother of Jesus, brother of James, sharing the same, uh, could be children from Joseph uh, from a previous uh, marriage. Maybe his wife passed away. There's a few different theories, but the point is, is he was in Jesus's family. And so uh, that's who's writing this letter. Um, And in that time when the church is beginning to explode, Um, let's see why he was writing this letter and to whom his audience was, okay? So Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and we'll come back to that wording. It's very interesting, and, and there's so much there. But a brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So who would we consider those to be? The who? Christians, but we could say broadly, that's the church, right? So he's writing this, to the church. He says this, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. That's amazing because we're going we're gonna to see the purpose here. Look at verse three. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share. Now, the word salvation just comes from a, a Greek word, uh, sozo, just meaning deliverance. So he's saying, I, I wanted... My, you know, my name's Jude, uh, writing this book here to the Christians, to the believers, and I wanted to write you a letter about the deliverance. Here's another word that Paul uses a lot. I wanted to write you a letter about the gospel, about the good news, about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I, I wanted to just write you a message about that deliverance that we share. So it would have been this like, really positive letter of of what God is doing and and all that we see God and how he is moving in this empire uh, and and working. It's incredible. That, that, That was my original intent, but look at it. I found it necessary to write, appealing you to contend. Only place in the New Testament that this word is found. Appealing to you to contend for the faith. That would mean to fight for. That was delivered to the saints 
once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. So there we find the purpose of the letter. He said, first, I just, I had the intent to sit down and deliver a letter to you that was just really about God's grace. I wanted to deliver a letter of really of celebration about our deliverance, but man, I had to go a different direction with it. And, and the direction that I need to go is I, I need to address some false teachers. I need to address the fact that the very purpose, the very reason that I was going to write this letter in the beginning, the gospel is under attack. And it's under attack from within. And of course, that's how the enemy works. A lot of people think that Satan wants like, you, you know, Satan is like the people that are following the church of Satan and sacrificing babies and all the crazy stuff, right? Like that's what Satan wants you to do and he wants you to be, you know, dressed in black 24-7. No. Satan comes as an angel of light. If anything, those are deterrents from Satan's purpose. Satan wants a version of Jesus, just not the real version. Satan comes from within, not from without. He's not recruiting people to his team by changing the colors. He wears the same colors, and he comes in, and he slowly changes and morphs over time. Until, before you know it, you don't even, you're not even recognized as a Christian. The church, the body of believers that once was called out, once was delivered, are a shell of their former self. And so Jude is saying, like... I have to write a hard letter. Let's put it in today's context. And that's the title of the message. An intro to sending difficult text messages. Jude is like, I have to send a difficult message. Has anybody in here ever had to send a difficult text message? Anybody? Oh, wow, that's a lot. Anybody ever had to like, maybe we don't really write letters anymore. We probably should write more letters. But anybody ever had to have a hard conversation? Anybody? That's what this is. I, I wanted to celebrate. I wanted to write to you and talk about what we have in common, but, but I can't. I, I've got to change course, and we've got to talk about something that is just a little bit more difficult. And so that's the introduction today. The introduction is this. I want you to see how Jude approaches this. I know you'll be helped today. Listen, if, if you will just glean one or two things from the message, I know you'll be helped. But when I read this, I'm like, here's a guy who is wanting to write a different letter, and the Lord leads him to write something that's more confrontational. The Lord leads him to write something more difficult. But I notice how he did it. And I thought to myself, like, where would we be as a church if we were better at having those tough conversations? Do you ever have a conversation that you regret how you handled it? Can you look back, maybe close your eyes in this moment and walk down the corridors of your mind, maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago, and you think about those moments that stick out that you go, man, I, I just didn't handle that the way that I should have. Imagine what was at stake for Jude. 
the doctrine, the very foundation of the church. What if he would have got it wrong? We're still here 2,000 years later reading the way he approached the tension. Wouldn't that be awesome if, like, that bad, that hard conversation that we sent, if, man, that thing was so good, people were like, hey, remember that hard conversation you had with them? Walk me through that. How did you do that? Well, you know, this is kind of, oops, sorry. That's what we're reading here. That's kind of what we're engaging with. How many this morning could be helped with some pointers on how to have difficult conversations? Anybody? Anybody? Come on now. All right, that's what we're going to talk about. All right, let's jump in here. So we have this tough conversation. We have this difficult text that he is sending. And I want to point out three things. Three things that I see that Jude's, that made Jude's approach uh, worth mentioning here in this short journey of 25 verses. So here's the first thing that I see. Look at verse number one. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to notice is his posture. Everybody say posture, posture. Uh, Who knows what posture means? I'm not talking about just like, you know, a good posture. How many struggle with poor posture? Anybody? I know I do. I'm like, oh my goodness. You can stand tall. You know what I'm saying? Get your shoulders back, chest out. It's like, man, these kids these days, you know, I I mean, it's like the opposite. I'm trying to raise a young man. You know what I mean? One of them gets a pass because he's like not even walking yet. He should be. He should be walking, but he's the baby of the family. It's like, come on, take a step. (laughs) Drops down, standing back up. Come on, time to walk. (laughs) He don't have to do nothing. He doesn't want to. Such the baby of the family. Oh, my goodness. Uh, He'll be living in my house till he's 35, and I'm cool with it, and I'm cool with it. I'm just kidding. Boy, get him out of there. <laughs> His mom will be like, shut up. <laughs> but anyway, my son, my, the, the firstborn son, you know, I'm constantly like, come on, dude, stand up straight. What, anybody ever struggle with that with your boy? <laughs> it's like, come on. You want to be a man, son? Stand up straight. Posture. But it's not just standing up straight. But, but take that thinking, right? Take that thinking of your posture and approach that to relationships. Approach that to hard, use that approach for hard conversations, right? Like one of the first things in, in uh, Jordan Peterson's book that, that I remember reading is he talks about posture. Look, put your shoulders back, put your head high. You know, when you, when you walk into something, especially if you don't come from anything, I, I mean, I didn't really, I didn't come from anything, you know what I mean? But one thing that we can have, if we have money or not, is, is we can have our dignity. We can have our self-worth, the fact that the Lord created us in his image. And so no matter what uh, situation we're walking into, we can walk in with the confidence and the boldness that God has created us and made us who he wants us to be. You know, it doesn't, money doesn't define who we are. The Lord defines who we are. And so our posture can reflect that, that of confidence. But have you thought about your posture when it comes to handling hard conversations. How do you handle them? Are you like this? Are you like this? Are you like this? What's your posture? How do you handle those? Here's something so interesting that I think about Jude. Look at it. Verse number one, don't miss it. We're going to take our time walking through this book. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now remember, he's going to have a tough conversation, but I want to remind you what we talked about earlier. 
He's the half-brother of Jesus, the same as James. He says, James is my brother, but I am Jesus' what? Servant. The first thing I want you to notice is his posture toward himself. (laughs) What would you have said if Jesus was your brother? I would literally have it on every hat, every t-shirt, every hoodie. I'd be like, yes, my name is Matt and I'm Jesus' brother. (laughs) Excuse me. And if you want anything, you know. Have you seen my brother heal people? I mean, it's pretty amazing. I know him on a first name basis. He's in my favorites in my recent text list right here. I text Jesus all the time because he's my brother. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. Sorry, I'm getting loud for baby Mav. I mean, if Jesus was my brother, I would be like, hey, y'all, I'm about to write you a letter, and I just want to remind you who I am. (laughs) I'm Jesus' brother. So, therefore, you should read this letter. No. The word servant means, it comes from the Greek word doulos, literally means servant. In other words, he's Jesus' servant. In other words, He is operating and doing what Jesus is what? Telling him to do. Hmm. So the posture is not not one of pride, but one of what? Humility. The Lord resists the proud, but gives grace to the what? Humble. The first thing I want you to notice, when, when it's time to have a tough conversation, we need to remember our posture first and, former, first and foremost towards ourself. What happens when we need to have a tough conversation with our kids, with our family members, with our parents? We just come right on in. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I got a problem. I got an issue. And maybe you don't. I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. And I hope you don't charge into conversations like that. But, but the point of it is, is that When we have a problem, when we have a rub, we are number one and we are the, and we are going to get our message, our issue, our problem is going to be out in front. I mean, have we ever been guilty of approaching problems like that? No, I'm always last. I'm always a servant when I approach these problems. When was the last time you had a marital issue that you had to address, a hard text that you had to, to send, and you approached it and said, sweetheart, <laughs> I can't even say it, it's that funny. I'm a servant of the Lord in this conversation right here. I'm not, I'm not trying to project my will in this. I just want you to know where the Lord is leading me. I mean, literally, many of you, your spouse would send back three crying, laughing faces. <laughs> they would be like, okay, whatever, you know, a servant of the Lord. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that so foreign? Because we don't take the back seat enough. If you only take the back seat when it's, convenient for you to take the back seat, then nobody's going to believe you. And you'll see that as this message progresses, there's a purpose. There's a purpose in the letter. And unfortunately, if we have 10 really bad conversations, what's going to happen to the one that's really important? It's going to fall by the wayside. I want you to see his posture. He could have said, I'm the brother of Jesus, but he didn't. He said, I'm the servant of Jesus. Look at his posture towards others. Number one, how did he handle his conflict? Number one, with his posture toward himself being one of humility. Number two, his posture toward others. 
this is under point number one. Look what he says there. To those who are the called, loved by who? God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. I want you to see here, his posture towards others is this. He saw them and responded to them from the perspective of how God saw them, not his perspective. This is so good, don't miss this. Jude said, look, we've got some trouble. We've we've got some problems, and I've got to address these problems, and I I want you to know my posture towards myself is I'm not the one who's got the answer, but I know the one who does have the answer. And my posture towards you in this problem, in this tension, in this issue, is that God absolutely loves you and cherishes you. He's He's not copping out. He's not saying, well, I don't love you. No, he's saying, I'm God. Going to approach you the way God is telling me he loves you and how God would approach you. It's literally so foreign for us. I mean, the Lord was just breaking me with this truth this week, and I'm thinking to myself, like, it should be second nature for us to be moved with emotion towards others the way God sees them, not the way we see them. We're so quick to make a new enemy And God is saying, I don't have those. I've neutralized the threat with the gospel. I've made a way for everybody to come to me. Remember the line from the Casting Crown song? The world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. Church, my posture. Do you understand that that person that you're having conflict is someone for whom Christ died? It is someone for whom Christ loves very deeply. And if you can't find your place to love that person, then approach them from the perspective of how God loves them. Number one, when having the tough conversation, remember your posture towards yourself and towards others. Number two, I love this. Look at his process. (laughs) How many need a better framework for these conversations? Is it just me? I was like, shoot, I need all the help I can get, Lord Jesus. Look, when I, when I have these tough conversations, I end up putting my foot in my mouth. It's rough, isn't it? Fellas, can I get an amen? <laughs> it's rough. Can we do better? Yeah. But we can't do better doing the same thing, making the same mistake every time. Well, how did he do it? Thank you for asking. Number one, his posture. Number two, his process. Well, what was his process? Look at verse number two. May mercy, (laughs) may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. That is his process in this hard conversation. Well, what are those things? Thank you for asking. I wrote them down. They're in the program. Ready? Number one, mercy means this. Leniency and compassion shown toward offenders by a person or agency of authority, often penal-related. Is that how our conversations look that are tough? When we have a disagreement, when we have an issue with someone, when we got to send a hard text, does it look like a process of mercy? Just go ahead, get out your phones, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll just airplay the last tough conversation that you had right up on the screen. Let's do it. I mean, pull it out. Let's just hook it up right there, and we'll airplay the conversation. And what we're going to do is we're going to diagram and dissect that conversation. We're going to see if it's loaded, if mercy has been multiplied in that conversation. Sound good? 
Who's down for this exercise? Everybody's like, I don't know where my phone is. I don't know where it is. I mean, just disappeared in thin air. Lord Jesus, come quickly right now in this moment. Right? Why? Because... We know that that's not our process. Here's the process. We've got an issue. We've got a problem. And I, we have to get to the bottom of it. And here's what it is. Give people the benefit of the what? That's how we say that. And, and relational experts say, just give people the benefit of the doubt. Have a conversation. Keep your wits about yourself and work through it. That's not what Jude said. Jude said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to multiply. I'm going to pay forward mercy. Well, what's that? That's someone who was guilty, and you're going to let them go free. Instead of approaching difficult conversations with giving them the benefit of the doubt, here's, here, here's what Jude is saying. I don't want to fixate on giving people the benefit of the doubt. Rather, I will send forgiveness ahead if they are guilty of what I am addressing. The rubber is about to meet the proverbial road. I mean, the whole point of this conversation is to fix it. <laughs> right? Yeah, but Jesus says you fix it by going, going ahead and sending forgiveness ahead if what you're addressing is actually a problem. Well, no, I want to hear them admit it. I want to hear them say it. I want them to squirm. I want them to know that they cause damage. Oh. Hey, if you're a teenager, you could take these principles and avoid a lot of headache and heartache if you take these and just put them in your phone or take a screenshot. Because people like me, where I had seven years of my marriage and my relationship where I didn't practice this, I wish that I would have from the beginning. Listen, if we have tension and if we have an issue and we need to address something, it's a whole lot different when you come into that conversation and you say, hey, my posture is, I know that you're somebody that God loves very much. I know we're having tension. I know we're having a problem. And I just want you to know that if this is a thing and if what I'm saying to you is actually a problem, I forgive you and I love you. Not only did he say that with mercy, but he said that with peace. What's peace? Do you, three words there. Mercy and then what? Peace and then what? Love. What's peace mean? That's like peace. That's like a treaty. That means two people that actually should be what? Fighting. And he goes, I just want you to know we're not going to what? We're not going to fight. I'm going to multiply the treaty. I I'm going to let you know that it takes two to tango. I'm going to let you know that in I, I want to come down hard on you. I want this to be uh, an atomic bomb, so to speak, relationally, but it's not going to get there because I've already sent ahead forgiveness. More than just forgiveness that I've sent ahead, I've already signed the peace treaty, and even if you want to go to war with me, guess what? We ain't going to war because I love you. That was his process. Does that sound like a good process to handle issues and tough conversations? It's all right there in the Bible. Man, I wish we could handle that like Jude. Here's the thing. It's almost like a verse. Was it Paul that said, forgive because you've been what? <laughs> Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven what? You. So what you mean to tell me is, I was going to write a letter celebrating our deliverance. 
celebrating the fact that none of us deserve the good things that we have. But yet, as a Christian, when we have a problem or a rub with somebody else, why do we act like lost people? Why do we all of a sudden act like we deserve everything? Why is it all of a sudden we act like the other person is horrible for treating us this way? That's how a lost person would act. That's someone who hasn't been delivered. That's someone who doesn't understand the goodness of God that has been given to them. That's someone who doesn't understand that they've been given forgiveness for everything that they've done that's wrong this side of heaven, and they're going to enjoy the fruits of eternity forevermore because of the goodness of God, but yet they're going to demand the person on the other side of that conflict to act a certain kind of way? Huh. Huh. We need to do better. Bottom line. Why don't people come to church? Because church people handle problems the same way lost people do. And there's no different. There's no distinction. I've heard this whole book cast from the perspective of contend for the faith. You need to understand that, <laughs> that you need to wear a <clears throat> suit and tie and act this way, come to church, every, do it this certain way and contend for that, fight for that. That is not at all what he is saying. He's he's saying, here's what you're going to fight for, the purpose. You're going to fight for the gospel. You're going to fight for the message. And you're going to fight. Watch this. You're going to fight the way someone who has received the message would fight. Why do we fight like we have not received the gospel? Why do we fight and treat other people like we don't even know Jesus We've watched Jesus' perspective. How many have seen the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Watch the movie. It's been a while. It had been so long since, since we'd watched that. And we sat down with the kids the other night, put it on in the living room and watched that. It's just a picture of the gospel. C.S. Lewis is insane. But you see Aslan take the place of another. You see him lay down his life, and you see the power that comes from that in laying down his life. Look, I'm just, I'm just trying to shake you a little bit this morning. Look at the way Jude is approaching this entire letter. Before we dig into the, the meat and potatoes of the passage, we got to see the way he's writing it. We're, we're not even there as Christians. We're so self-absorbed. We, we feel like we need to be defended, and we have to be right with everything. And Jude is like, that's not how I'm approaching this as a servant. The message I'm giving you is a message from the Lord, and the Lord loves you, and he cares for you. And I'm going to multiply and send ahead the mercy. I forgive the love and the peace. I'm not going to fight. This is not going to be an altercation. We can't even get this right in our marriages, much less with someone who's lost. Can we do better? Number one, our posture. Do you see the posture? servant towards himself, towards others, those that are loved by God. Number two, the process. How are we going to have difficult conversations? Some of y'all need to like screenshot, put this as your screensaver on your phone so that you know when you go to send that nasty message, you see process, mercy, grace, love, peace, right? You need to remind yourself of this. Number three, number one, posture. Number two, process. Number three, purpose. Purpose. 
12, 13. Number three, purpose. Look at the, the verse right there. It says, uh, verse number three. Dear friends, although I was eager to write about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing, appealing to you to contend for the what? For the faith. That was delivered to the saints. Why? Because there are some people who were designated for judgment. In other words, there are people who they weren't going to believe anyway. And they're coming in. They're stealthy. They're ungodly. They're turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. I found this interesting. This is just a little tidbit. We've been studying Revelation uh, in our senior Bible study on Wednesday mornings. And this is so interesting, right? So the Apostle Paul, if you've been with me through Corinthians, you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the blended congregation, he was struggling with the Gentiles, eating meat sacrificed to idols, and having fornication, sex outside of marriage. Do you remember? Those two things. John, when he writes on the Isle of Patmos, the book of Revelation, in those seven letters to the churches, guess what is addressed in those letters? The, the doctrine of Balaam coming into the church and the two things that is addressed right there in Asia Minor, the, the woman Jezebel. The author John literally pulls idol worship from the Old Testament and says what the church is struggling with today is the same thing that the enemy has been using all along. And what are the two issues that are addressed in Revelation? Meat sacrifice to idols and sexually immoral sin. What does he say right here in his little letter? They're turning from the grace of our God. They're turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ. My point to you is that over and over and over again, Paul's writings, John's writings, now Jude's writings, you're seeing a pattern that the enemy uses sexual immorality for his advantage. Anybody have a, a one of these? Somebody left their gum on the plat pulpit there and just attached my phone. Thank you, Kaylee. Appreciate that. <laughs> I'm all, <laughs> Gotta love it. Hey, why not? I'm just kidding. <laughs> if I would have done it, if I would have done it. <laughs> Anybody got a phone? I think it's time to update my screensaver. I got my Easter background. <laughs> if you got a phone in your pocket, is there like, we don't deal with sexual immorality today, do we, in 2022? <laughs> do you understand that if Jude was here, it's applicable. Literally what he's writing about, I wonder if we could just all be honest and transparent for about five minutes if we could just go around by, and I'm, we're not doing this, <laughs> chill. <laughs> if we could just by way of testimony go around the room and say, has anyone been affected one way or another, right and wrong, by sexual immorality in our lives and in our churches? It's, I mean, it's on the headlines. Sexual immorality is wrecking churches. My point is, is that it's the same thing. The enemy is doing the same thing. Baal the doctrine of Balaam, Jezebel, these immoral, ungodly behaviors of the prophets were temple prostitutes sacrificing their children, eating the meat that was offered to the idols. In other words, they're not making a distinction between their God and other gods. 
It's the same stuff. We come to church and we say we're Christians and we go out of the church and we live like we're not. It's the same thing. And Jude is writing that letter saying, hey guys, we gotta do what? We gotta do better. This letter is so applicable to today. It's the same stuff, the same tactics from the same enemy. Paul said, two verses in the program, it says, for we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. And they're, look, men, look look at me, men, right here, because I know we're more prone to it, and I guess statistically that's changing too. But when you have your phone in your hand, and you're watching those things on whatever streaming service, understand that the enemy is going to use that to drive a wedge between you and the Lord. If you're watching something that is impure, Jude would say this warning is for who? For you. Because somehow the deliverance that God gave you is not quite enough to keep you from what the Lord saved you from. So we need to check ourselves. You understand what I'm saying? There's a a purpose there's a purpose. That's number three. I see his posture. I see his process, but I see his purpose. And, and here's, what we, here's what we need. We need a, well, we need a revelation, but we also need a revolution of moms and dads and grandparents and sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. We need a revolution of purpose of people that know what's right and they do what is right because they know what they're supposed to be doing. And they just don't give in to the enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11, it says this. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around as a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's where I connect the dots for you. The word contend means to make strenuous, to make a strenuous or labored effort uh, in someone or, or on someone's behalf. Protect others from false doctrines and false narratives that will twist the truth into a lie. The gospel is the message of transformation at the point of application. If you're here today and you believe, what is is faith? What what does it mean to be delivered? What is he talking about? I, I wanted to write about the deliverance that we've experienced. It's this. It just means this. Those that have declared They're believing loyalty to Jesus. Those those that have declared their believing loyalty, what saves us from the devourer? If the devil's walking around as a roaring lion, if Jude has a perspective that is saying, look, you're in danger and i got to write this to you, and, and the way he approaches the conflict is incredible, but what's the point? What's the point of addressing that conflict from the beginning? The point is purpose. And his purpose is this. Declare your believing loyalty to Jesus. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. The enemy wants to distract you. Jesus 
wants to deliver you. The enemy wants to delay. He wants to constantly put you in a place where you're just literally like in the wilderness circling and circling and you don't know what your purpose is. But when Jesus finds you and he picks you up from that situation, from that problem, from that life that doesn't have purpose, he gives you a purpose. He plants your feet on a firm foundation and the foundation is the gospel. So follow me. Why are we having conflict about things that do not connect to the purpose? He chose to address the conflict because the problem would affect the purpose. And here's what I just want to say. I think we're wasting our breath and we're wasting air. We're wasting relational equity with our children because we're fighting battles that are not connected to the purpose. And then battles that actually are connected to the purpose, we don't have energy for. Our children are literally being taken for the world one after another, one device after another. They're going, our young men do not understand purity anymore. It's not something that's talked about. What do we do? We just say, well, that's young men are going to be young men. How about we not let young men do that? How about we teach young men to be strong, to say no? That just doesn't happen in society. It doesn't happen because our men aren't strong who are teaching our young men to be strong. It doesn't happen because men are looking at crap they shouldn't look at, and they can't tell their son not to look. They can't tell their son not to act like that because they know they're doing it. Purpose. Purpose, a tough conversation that's had around the topic of the gospel and purpose. And my point is this, we're avoiding tough conversations because we are not connecting our lives to the gospel. And Jude is saying, I have a clear connection with what deliverance means in my life. And I want to explain to you that I'm seeing things in your life that are not producing that. His purpose. So it's twofold. Are we arguing about things that absolutely don't matter? Stop. <laughs> like, seriously, we, we need to, like, remember our posture, number one. Well, that's really all we talk about is stuff that makes us happy or not happy. There's a marriage book called You and Me Forever. You should buy it and read it. I think half the marriage problems that we deal with, I'm going to actually say more than half. How about we say 80%? And that's just in my experience with couples. 80% of the marital troubles that we experience are plain and simple because the couple does not have a purpose. They're just existing. Their purpose is to go to work, to make each other lunch, to have kids that somewhat make them happy. And they forget the fact that we were put here for a reason. We are elect to tell others about who delivered us. If you're raising your children to be Good human beings, that's different than raising your children to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. One is like a polished trophy that gets put on the shelf. The other is act in humility when someone that doesn't like you does you wrong. What's the first thing we do? Ain't nobody going to treat my boy like that. Ain't nobody going to treat my girl like that. Nah, I'll tell you what. I, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, and you're marching in the principal's office. And everybody knows you can't handle the fact that someone did something that you didn't agree with to one of your kids. 
wonderful job rearing children to love their enemies. Great job. You're doing really good. Your, your great perspective as a parent. And I have kids. I get it. Nobody likes to see their kids go through something. But 1 Peter 5.8 says the suffering that we endure is working something somewhere else. A more eternal weight. My point, we need to get back to the purpose. A tough conversation should only be had if it's tied to the what? Yes, very good, the gospel. But we're using P's because it's alliterated. It's purpose. (laughs) It should be tied to the purpose. It should be tied to the gospel. You're 100% right. What conversations, number one, are you having that you should not have? Number two, what conversations should you be having that you're not having? It seems overwhelming, Pastor Matt. I, I can't talk to him about that. I don't think I could engage in that. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, when we get into this study, there's figures. There's a lot more at work. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. I'm, I'm explaining something to you that you think you're doing good by avoiding something now. They're doomed. The forces of darkness get their hooks in your kids, and you're not going to battle to get them out. It's time, some of you parents. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments. Send us a message and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week and God bless.